the People Show. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Tremati, Intern David, a full host of people behind the glass right now. And you as well, 650-650. We're broadcasting live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. You can always interact with us, engage with us in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Calm. Greg Wyshynski, minutes away from ESPN NHL coverage. So we get underway. You going to wake up early uh, tomorrow? I'm always up early. Come on. Really? No, no, not really. I was going to say, you don't strike me as an early riser. I used to be. I'm not so much these days. But tomorrow I'll try. It's going to be a long night doing the the Canucks game tomorrow against Arizona. Yeah, tomorrow's a a lengthy day, yeah. Maybe it's a PVR day. (laughs) We get the, the, the NHL pass and... I guess it's 11 o'clock. Yeah, it's not that early. Come on. Well, I'm not working, so I might sleep in and just... Uh... Okay, you know, I, even on my days that I sleep in, I'm I'm up by like 9, 9.30. Yeah. Like, that's sleeping in for me. Uh, Wish, are, are, are you going to have to uh, rise up early for tomorrow's game or anything like that? <laughs> I rise up early every day, man. You know, <laughs> it's an adult. early bird gets the worm and all, <laughs> He's all an that adult. stuff. And... What, I've been try- what I've been trying to do, though, in, in you know, as, as I'm like you know, getting a little older and stuff is, is not stay up to three o'clock in the morning writing every night and instead try to get, get up earlier to write. Is, Don't you find you do change. some of your best like work at 2am though? Of course. Yeah. Cause you're delirious. I'm usually, I, I, I am a guy who, you know, when he has to write a big long story, usually grabs a glass of something Brown to drink while he's writing. Uh, so yeah, no, I definitely do a lot of really good work at, I want to write at night, but like, you know, when, when all of a sudden your responsibilities include like podcasts and TV stuff, especially TV stuff, like you don't want to look uh, horrible on television. And I've come to find that the more, the more sleep I get, uh, the, the less uh, horrible I look. So I, I've been trying to not, and then plus the other thing too about staying up late at night boys to write is that you inevitably are, are writing maybe with the TV on and then the game ends. And then all of a sudden, Oh no, Die Hard's on. You know, now you're watching <laughs> Die Hard until three thirty in the morning. Like it's it that happens to me probably more often than not. And if you wake up early in the morning to write, like what's on? It's like Good Morning America. Like who cares? You know. So it's it's a, it's a safer environment too. All right, what's the what's the perfect thing to write to though? Like, do you have a movie or music that you're just saying, all right, this will actually put me in the zone rather than to distract me? Okay, so no, um, I I actually don't like writing too much with music or podcasts. I can't do that either. Like I can't hear somebody speaking as I'm trying to write. And if it's late at night, I'm usually, I usually have the TV on, but I don't have the sound on. Um, I'm a very, it distracts me. Right. But I was just having this conversation with my wife, Ruby last night. I am inspired by art before every season. So the two things I do before every NHL season is that I read Ken Dryden's the game. Uh, to put me in the right headspace for hockey. Absolute stone-cold classic book, and it's great. And then the other thing I do is I watch the movie Ed Wood. Remember Tim Burton's Ed right. Wood with, with Johnny Depp? Because that movie, uh, besides being a really great flick, is a movie that celebrates the 
hey, kids, let's put on a show. Let's make the most of what we're given. Uh, and, and every crackpot idea can lead to something beautifulness of, of, of art. And while I don't think hockey writing is art necessarily all, at all times, there needs to be a little bit of that whimsical inspiration of making the best with what you've been given. And, and that movie always kind of inspires me to that end. Interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll have to work that into the rotation before the Canuck season yeah, uh, right, drops okay. on the 12th. Uh, all right, talking to Greg Wyshynski uh, from ESPN, at Wyshynski on Twitter. Uh, so, again, season getting underway very shortly. Uh, we're, are we breaking out the predictions already? Should we, uh, sh- should we ask you for your cup winner right now? Baby, they're all on the site. I got the whole <laughs> predictions column up on ESPN right now. And if you're in Canada, I think you can check it out without having to navigate around the paywall. Uh, my Stanley Cup final uh, is going to uh, party like it's 2006. It's the Edmonton Oilers over the Carolina Hurricanes okay. with the Oilers winning the Cup. Okay, so we were just talking about the Oilers, right? And and we, we always get caught into these things of teams are always going to have a linear progression. But it, it does feel like this team, um, not – not that they can break through, but the 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 focus this season is very much on, and, and maybe the next couple of years because Drysdale's got three years left, Mark McDavid's got four years left. The focus is very much like this is the now time for the Edmonton Oilers, yeah, for sure. And, and so I acknowledge that there needs to be a few things that have to go right for them to break through. Uh, one of them is that either Stuart Skinner or Jack Campbell can get him a save, and, and I know that, that in some ways. Jack Campbell's going to be as much of a roller coaster as, as Mike Smith is. Maybe, maybe, maybe a few less loops <laughs> and, and, and drops on the roller coaster than Mike Smith, but definitely still a roller coaster. Um, they're going to need Evan Bouchard to level up and to become a, a, a much closer to elite level defenseman, which I think is, is his progression, especially if they give him power play one time. They're probably going to need another defenseman for that blue line from a veteran standpoint that they can probably find at the trade deadline. Um, and they need this forward group that they've assembled, which I think is the deepest one they've had in quite some time there, to really kind of find their roles and, and play them well, knowing that Dreisaitl and McDavid and, and Evander Kane and, um, and Nugent Hopkins, when, when necessary, are going to be able to carry their load. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on them. I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch. You could have gone, gone with a safer play like, like the Avalanche or maybe even the Flames, if you believe their, their DNA hasn't been completely transformed. But I think based on what I saw from the, from the Oilers last postseason, they've got as good a chance as any to get out of that uh, conference. I like the bold pick, and that's the expectation, Edmonton. When you go to the Western Conference Final, it's, all right, what can you do? And as we experienced in Abbotsford here locally yesterday, Connor McDavid, when he's in the mood, when he's ready to go, he can change the game within a split second. Now, you're talking about hitting up some of the, uh, the, brown, local, the brown stuff earlier on when you're writing. <laughs> Some hardcore Canucks fans want to know how much of the Brown stuff did you hit up when you were looking at this Canucks roster because you don't have them as a playoff team. Explain yourself, Greg. I've I've been trying. I've been squinting hard and and trying to make it work. And so part of it is the numbers game in the Western Conference. Like, for example, in the Pacific Division, I I think Calgary and Edmonton are cemented into playoff spots. Uh, and, And I think that the LA Kings are going to be maybe a tick down from where they were, but not too far down. The, the interesting thing about the Kings for me is whether Jonathan Quick can do what he did for them last season or if they're going to be able to get Cal Peterson to where he, they expected he was going to be when they signed him to that extension. Um, the goaltending is the real question mark for them because otherwise, I mean, they're getting Dowdy back from injury. They've got Fiala there. They're going to be really good. 
And I'm not ready to write off the Golden Knights quite yet because I do think that they're so good in other areas of that team that if someone like Logan Thompson can give them even replacement-level goaltending, I think they're going to be a playoff team. They, if it weren't for the injuries last year, they would have been a playoff team. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of you know looking at them as, as making it back in. So if, if you can seed at least the top three in the Pacific to, to at least three of those teams, and then you have the Central where it's like five deep um, – Vancouver can be a very good hockey team, but but may not necessarily find any room at the end, which I think is going to end up being the situation. Uh, yesterday in the show, we were talking about the, the the Canucks defense and just defense on the whole across the league right now. Uh, I, I think we're in a kind of a golden generation of the high end, where it's your Macars, your Foxes, Siders, Heiskanen. But the overall depth, because now we're in this stage of it's it's been enough time through rule changes, you can't just chuck it off the glass. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we had Lidstrom and Stevens and Niedermeyer and all these great great players, but the depth of it was easier to get along with. Now it feels like the depth of defense doesn't doesn't really exist, and for a team like the Canucks, I can sit here and say, yeah, they're probably the 26th best defense, but the gap between them and 14 is probably smaller than it was 15, 20 years ago. Is that fair? I understand what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I don't think it excuses how terrible the right side of the Canucks defense mm-hmm. is. I think no, of course not. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a pro- that's a problem with, uh, with management and construction and the sins of the past not necessarily of the present uh, managerial group. Um, but no, I, I, you know, and defense has changed a little bit too. Like, for example, I was, I was uh, in writing this column, I was looking at the, the Anaheim Ducks. When's the last time you saw a team that had four guys that move the puck? Yeah. They got Klingberg, Fowler, Shattenkirk, and Drysdale. The only, they've got like one stay-at-home defenseman in that defense core right now. So, you know, teams, I think, are also trying to adapt what they do to this, you know, offensive mode that the league's been in for the last several years. And obviously it kind of exploded last year for a variety of factors that may or may not be repeatable for this season. But, I mean, clearly the way that teams are building out their D has changed, too. And, and, and maybe that's also kind of made things a little bit more homogenous and, and, and closer within the rankings than it used to be. Well, I just feel like we're in this transition where, to, to your point, like teams are going to try to adapt that model that we saw in Colorado um, with, with obviously, McCarr and Taze and Byram and, and Gerard. And, yeah, like I, I think Anaheim is a great example. It's, it's one of the reasons I was, I was kind of thinking this myself because looking at their team build, it, it is so fascinating that they're not trying to do that, and it's going to take some time to flush this out uh, and, and this new kind of way we're building defenses. Sure, but, I mean, then you also need freaks, though. Like, you need a freak like Taves, who yeah. is one of the best defensive defensemen in hockey but also can put up numbers. Same thing with Slavin with Carolina for all those years, you know, was able to do the same sort of thing. And, and so, I mean, there, you still need guys that, that have that um, elite defensive responsibility. It's just that it seems like that role has become more like Victor Hedmany where, mm-hmm. where it's like a, a guy that can, you know, be in your, in your top 10 and scoring amongst defensemen, but also be the guy that's your stopper. And, and finding that kind of player is rare. I mean, I, I think there's, some anticipation that Owen Power is going to end up being that kind of guy for Buffalo, for example, a guy who skates like the wind, but also can be real responsible defensively. But I mean, that's why those guys go first overall. So we, we, you know, we've talked a lot about teams that could surprise and you know, the, the low end of the NHL, certain teams, Buffalo has gotten better. Ottawa has, has made huge, huge developments on, on, you know, and improvements on their roster. Detroit doing the same, hitting up free agency and watching those young players grow over the years. But 
I want to look at the opposite side. Which team has been a part of essentially the furniture? They've always been there is destined for a fall off. The team that I'm looking at is the Washington Capitals. I just don't know what else they can offer this year. We've kind of seen them be stagnant the last couple of years. Is this the year the Capitals start to fall off seriously? So I, I have them not making the playoffs, but but I have them not making the playoffs because I have one of those teams that I think is going to make a leap, making a big leap, which is the Devils. Like the Devils basically need three things to happen. They need a better power play. They, they bought on Andrew Brunette to do that after <laughs> – you know, he, he was a Jack Adams finalist and then out of a job. Uh, they need to be, be healthy, which means, that, you know, Jack Hughes has to play at least 70 games. And then they need to find someone who can make a save and, and maybe Vitek Vanacek takes some of the pressure off of Mackenzie Blackwood and, and they figure that out too. If those things happen, I think they make a gigantic leap up the standings and, and, and pass the Capitals. That's not to say the Capitals are cooked. Um, in fact, when this column came out this morning, I had somebody close to the Capitals uh, reach out and tell me how wrong I am <laughs> because they, they, they do have a pretty stacked roster. They made some interesting moves in the offseason, including, you know, bringing in Dylan Strome to help supplant the loss of, of Nick Backstrom. You know, Tom Wilson's going to be healthy soon. Everybody's really high on Darcy Kemper having a transformative effect on their, on their save percentage as a team. And so of those teams, I think they're the most likely candidate because I, I do think the Penguins are going to be good again, and I do think the Bruins are going to make the playoffs, even though these first couple of months are going to be a little bit dicey for them. Um, but even even with the Caps, I don't think we're going to see the kind of fall-off that we saw, say, like from the Islanders last season. Wait, Wish, are you telling me that you provided bulletin board material for the Washington Capitals? <laughs> they got your quote up on the bulletin board? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, uh Bulletin board material is, is an interesting thing because I thought about that with Vegas, right? Like, remember remember the last time everybody wrote off Vegas and said that, you know, they were going to be garbage? Uh, they went to the Cups final as an expansion team. So bulletin board material is uh, only a good thing. I, I always like to check in with these teams when I make these predictions. I'm not trying to, you know, make myself into some sort of an oracle here. I'm terrible at this. So uh, knowing that, I actually reached out to Ken Holland from the Oilers to let him know that I was picking Edmonton to win the Cup uh, as either like a, uh, hey, look out for this thing, or like an apology, like, I'm sorry I've cursed you. Um, and, and he said, well, you know, we, we should probably just try to make the playoffs first. So, I mean, eyes, eyes on the prize for Ken Holland and the Oilers. Is there a cluster of teams that you had the, the toughest kind of getting a handle on? Because there is three teams for me that are all from the same division. I, I'm curious if – I'll give you mine in just a second. But I'm curious, a, a trio of teams or something like that, that you feel like, hey, it could go either way for them, uh, either a season from hell or they could really just shoot to the moon. No, it's the central. I mean, everybody yeah, that's it for behind. Me, yeah. yeah, everybody behind Colorado and and Minnesota is kind of around the same point projection and total. Um, you know, I, Dallas to me maybe a nose of ahead just because I, I like what they're doing uh, with their uh, with their team. I you know the, the, the having that line, the Robertson line, be as good as it was last year and kind of carry them. If they can find that again, I think Sagan's going to be better than he was. I think Heiskanen's going to be really good now that he's going to pick up some power play reps from Klingberg not being there. And, and I believe in Ottinger and Wedgwood as being a pretty good goalie tandem. The Blues are, are a tricky one. Um, I'm not enamored with their defense beyond Krug and Falk. And then you're, you're kind of act, asking Jordan Bennington to you know, be there without a net <laughs> with Huso gone because I'm not a really big Thomas Grice guy. The Predators, I think, are probably better than both those teams, and I have them third. And then the one you have to kind of wonder 
what they're going to turn out to be is Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest uh, Rick Bonus guy. I'm not quite sure why he got that gig, except to say that he's going to go in there and crack skulls and, and try to dislodge the leadership group that sort of run that locker room for the last few seasons. Um, but the, the X factor there is Connor Hellebuck, who has shown many times in the past that he has the ability to drag that team into the playoffs if he plays up to his standards. And he had an off year last year they missed. And so you wonder whether or not they could maybe jump up and make it this year if he plays well. I, for one, am not looking forward to watching any Chicago Blackhawks hockey, but Patrick Kane and where he will be at the end of the year, or even at you know the trade deadline, is that one of the more interesting storylines heading into the season? Nobody cares about the Chicago Blackhawks at this point, but is that one thing that you've got circled on your list to say, this might be the most interesting storyline heading into the year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, because I, I think that he's obviously a game changer for whoever gets him. And, and I think there are different categories of teams that, that may or may not have interest in him. I mean, I, the, the rumors have long been that he'd be willing to go to the Washington Capitals, the Rangers have coveted him in the past, and, and, and I, I, I've long predicted that's going to be where he ends up. You can look at their, you can look at their lineup right now and pretty much write in, in permanent marker where Patrick Kane would fit, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a uh, coincidence that their lineup is built that way. Um, and then you have the, those teams that always seem to be in on the crazy stuff, one of them being like the Florida Panthers, for example, who – um, you know, saw some offense walk out the walk out the door in Huberto. They bring in Kachuk, and you wonder where Patrick Kane could fit into that equation if they wanted him. The the interesting thing about Kane for me is, is it going to be a situation where he approves a trade someplace with an eye towards signing a long term deal? There is that a, a mandatory part of any deal, or is it going to be a situation kind of like Drew last year, where where he ends up at the trade deadline isn't necessarily where he's going to sign. Uh, in the in the next summer, because I mean, Kane's never done the free agent thing before, you know. And, and sometimes it's kind of a fun thing for for someone to go through that process of having everybody throw their best offer at you and and the courtship courtship of it all. So I'd be interested to see exactly where what happens with him uh, with that next contract. Uh, he is Greg Wyshynski again. His prediction piece up at ESPN.com. Uh, follow him at Wyshynski on Twitter if you're not already. I uh, wish uh, it get real. It gets real tomorrow, so uh, we're excited to to talk to you again throughout the course of the year. It gets fake tomorrow. They're in Europe. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the real opening day. It's, it's two NHL points. Barely, it's two points. The NHL, the NHL barely recognizes this <laughs> opening day, but I mean, it'll uh, it, be fun to have games that matter. Obviously. Honestly, it really snuck up on me. Uh, I like. Look at my fantasy roster. It's like, oh, Philip Forsberg plays tomorrow. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of, guys? It's like, remember when, I don't know if this is still a thing, but remember when somebody went to Disneyland and they were like, oh, it was Euro Disney, though. It's like, nah, it's not real Disneyland. <laughs> That's right. That's right. These guys are at Disneyland Paris, and then everybody else is at the real Magic Kingdom next uh, Tuesday. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Anytime.